Aaron Watkins, and welcome to the Ministry Solvers Podcast, where we help break silos and find ministry solutions to your problems. Today, we're going to get insights on comfort and care through death, sickness, and grief, and learn how we as church leaders can respond. And so I'm excited to announce our guest, Reverend Daryl Thomas. And Reverend Thomas, he is a native of Charleston, South Carolina, and he has served in the U.S. Navy, and he has received an honorary doctorate from Christian Education Theological Institute and Seminary, and currently serves on staff at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship as the Director of Comfort and Care Ministry, and has been married to his beautiful bride, Dr. Deborah Thomas, for over 28 years, and they have two beautiful sons, Daryl Jr. and Daniel. So welcome to the show, brother. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, man. You're reading all that off. I'm like, what? Who's he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm like, man, I got to catch up. All those list of things, brother, you killing yeah. it. So our topic today is comfort and care through death, sickness, and grief, and how we as church leaders uh, should respond. And so could you briefly describe your role being the comfort and care pastor at Dr. Tony Evans Church? Um, let me say this first. It's a privilege and honor to work under Dr. Evans, um, his, his leadership, his guidance, um, and then entrusting me and our team to be able to do what we do and how we do it by the training that he's given us. Uh, Comfort and Care is a ministry that just doesn't work with bereavement during the times, you know, with sickness, long-term sickness, new birth, um, along with communicating that through the congregation throughout the church and making sure that people are met in the midst of what their needs are. So comfort and care covers a multitude of areas in the church. Um, the thing is, we wanna to try to make sure that we always get there when the need arrives. Um, we don't wanna get there afterwards. We wanna make sure we're there to walk with them, talk with them, encourage them, and uh, let them know that church is where no one stands alone. Just thinking about all that you described, I'm like, man, you do so much. I mean, there's so much that you're over as a director. So what would you say is the, the most that you enjoy about your role? And what would you say is probably the least you enjoy about your role? The most I enjoy is meeting people and being able to help them. Sometimes people consider their worst time when you lose someone. And then at their best time when a new birth. You know, when they call you and they, they just had a child and they want you to come and pray with them. And that's a good thing. But when, the, when there's a loss and it's not just that individual, um, but it's the family and you get to come around them and encourage them. What I love most about that, I will say, is when I come across a family who does not know Christ. Mm. Um, it's funny you asked that question because even last week or two weeks ago, mm -hmm. um, a member of our church had a, um, um, a friend who passed away and his wife called me and she wanted me to come and do the service for her, perform the service for her husband. And she, her main thing was, she said, my husband would pray for us, but he wasn't a Christian. I'm not a Christian. Our three children's not a Christian. We don't know anything about the gospel. Wow. So right then and there, that's the excitement. I know I get to go share with someone who has never heard the gospel. And to be able to do that, that's the joy. Leading someone and letting them know that there is hope. 
you know, and just for them to even call and ask. No, and the wife, I'll say this. She told me, she said, I don't know Christ, but I know this is the right thing to do. Mm. So um, that's that's the exciting part. The least exciting part is the 2.30 in the morning phone call. <laughs> and, um, oh and you know you and you know you have to go and um and just being prepared for that um i thank god for my wife who's understanding and uh and she knows when the phone rings that time of morning it's just not i'm leaving to, to be leaving but i'm leaving because i'm this is what i'm called to do and not just i but we we're called to do it because she's a part of this uh, ministry starts at home but my wife and my two sons and if I don't minister to them well, I can't be expected to minister to the to the congregation well. Good. Speaking of sharing the gospel, I know you've uh, been able to be a part of a lot of different funerals. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's always appropriate to share the gospel at the funeral? Um, three things. I always try to comfort the family, encourage the family, and share the gospel because sometimes that's the only time they're going to hear it when they come to a funeral. You know, and, and not just sometimes, a lot of times. Yeah. That's when people come to the church. And then um, so it's our it's our duty, our call, mm -hmm. to make sure anytime we have an opportunity to let them know about Christ. Amen. Comfort, encourage, and share. I love it. Now, have you had anyone actually accept the gospel? Have you ever seen that happen at, at a funeral? Oh, several times. In fact, the uh, when I told you about the family uh, two weeks ago, um, the, the, the oldest daughter, the mother of the, um, the young man in the past, and his sister, those three um, wow. accepted Christ. That's powerful. Yeah. So, about how many funerals are, yeah, let's, let's start there. How many how many funerals would you say you do a year, a given year, just you and your team? Ooh, last year, um, I think it was, we served um, 332. I oh, think. my goodness. Oh, my head. Um, and you know, all those are not consecutive days. Sometimes we have two services a day. Um, no, so it 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 spread out um, along with myself. You know, Reverend Brown and Reverend Blackman and Reverend mm -hmm. who serves with me. And um, you know, I know several days when we're all at four different locations. You know, wow. <laughs> you know, so it's it, it gets busy. But then I always remind my team of God always gives you reprieve, mm. and um, and on those three or four or five days that He gives you reprieve. Mm -hmm. take your time relax and those are the days when you're supposed to rest in him um and, and just spend time with him because on those other days you're still doing your devotional you're still praying but you're doing it with the expectations of being able to go out and serve and and, and be with others and, and do those things but your reality is when you get those times of when you had the reprieve where you could spend an hour or two just reading his word and not reading it for a sermon or a eulogy, 
just for the love of the gospel and love of the Bible. So with, with serving that many people, how do you maintain sensitivity and compassion and not just go about it as a, the status quo of like, this is what we do. And, and um, so how do you, how do you do that? How do you maintain that compassion for all of those people, even though you've done it time and time and time again? By his grace, I, I will say this. I am a, um, I can come become very rigid. I know I can, if I need to, this is things, things to do. This is the check in the block I need to make all day long and be done. Um, when I first started, I was praying in my car when I got to the church. I was in the parking lot. And and I asked the Lord, you know what I need to do? You know, the things that I had on my list, I need to get done. And he says, um, so I was sitting there and just waiting this. You know, you pray and you wait. And, and he says, just simply, is that all? Where do I fit in? And because I did have all the things I needed to get done, all the families I needed to see. But if I don't put him in the midst of all that I need to do, then the people miss the church. They'll get the things done, but they won't feel loved. Mm. They won't feel cared for. Um, so I try not to put, um, put everything in a box. Sometimes my days are longer because I spread it out because I want every family to know that we are there for them. I don't rush them. I don't put say, okay, you're just going to have 30 minutes in the meeting. You know, I, I block it for an hour and a half. Typically don't take that long. I've only had maybe three or four that went that long. Typically anywhere between 30 to 45 minutes. And then also that with that, I give myself the chance to go back to my office, regain my thoughts. Most of the time I'll think about a scripture and I'll go and talk with the next family when we have them back to back. Thank you for sharing that, brother. So with having to manage that many funerals a year, I mean, you talked about almost 365 funerals <laughs> for the whole calendar year. Um, so with having to manage that meant many walk me through the processes you have in place from when someone gets sick or you're notified of someone passing away like what processes do you guys have in place uh, for that okay so initially you know we have the, the you have the company care report so okay. either they'll fill out the company care report or someone will call me um or text me and then or they'll text one of the teammates um, one of the guys i mentioned earlier reverend brown or reverend blackman and then once we contact them, if it's a funeral, if someone has transitioned, we'll schedule a time for them to come in and we can talk with them. We have a booklet that we take them through and um, it, just letting them know exactly what they need to do, what the funeral home expectation is from them and the options that they have. Um, a lot of times families don't know their options mm. and that's why they go out and they spend this exorbitant amount of money and um, on a funeral service because they didn't know what they could do and what they couldn't do or what they shouldn't do. And um, don't get me wrong, I don't have anything against the funeral home, mm -hmm. but it's a business. 
It's true. It, it's true. And um, and there are some out there who are looking for playing your emotions. So typically, we would talk, sit down, talk with the family, um, share with them the opportunities that they have and what they should look at doing. Um, I don't. We don't ask them about their expense or anything, but we do tell them when this is all over with, when everything's said and done, we don't want you to wake up and say, what have I done? Mm-hmm. And um, for the misuse or miscalculation of what everything was going to cost. you know, Because a lot of times family members leave pre-needs. They've made pre-needs. But then the loved ones who are here become very emotional and said, I want to do more. And there's really no need for that. So what we do, we, we walk with them, we, we tell them, um, hey, these are, these are the guidelines, these are things you need to do. We always want them to be very careful about death certificates, because that's one of the very most important things about doing this whole process of getting the death certificates for their loved ones and being able to handle business afterwards. Mm. And then after that, you know, we, the church, we come alongside with them, plan the funeral, and then have the services, walk with them after the services, and we just don't walk with them after the service saying for a day or so. It's steps that's in place for them to be connected and contacted for at least six weeks. Wow. And then after that six weeks, we offer grief counseling, all that, because it's a process to get to grief counseling. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up because some people can think that once the funeral is over, you know, the service is over, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but that's not true. And I appreciate you for saying that. But I want to walk it back just a little bit because mm-hmm. you mentioned the comfort and care form, and some people may not necessarily have that system in place. So when we talk about a comfort and care form, what is what does that entail? Uh, comfort and care form is just a form that we have online that our, fa- our families, our members can go to, and they can put their names, addresses, ministry. Um, then they tell us exactly what's going on whether it's sickness, um, whether it's a bereavement, or it's, a, or it's a new birth. And even if they did the sickness form, all they need to tell us is their name, address, phone numbers, and then we will contact them. If, they, okay. if their loved one is in the hospital, there's a block for them to put that in there, and uh, they'll give us permission that we can go visit, or sometimes you can only call. And the good thing is um, we have develop relationships with the, the chaplain's office at the hospitals. Um, and I, I thank God for Reverend Brown. He's the one that really made that initiative happen. Mm. We can call them and they will do video phone calls for us um, with their iPads. So if we can't get to a member of, if it's like if they have pneumonia or something serious and we can't go in the room to visit, but we can do a video conference call with them. So that's a, a really good thing that we have in place. All right, then also with the bereavement form, all we need is your information initially and then the the deceased name and if possible, the funeral home. And then we'll contact them and start working with them and set up a meeting. And then if it's a new birth, which is an exciting thing, um, we get the name of the parents and we call them and set up a time. We have this thing we call a shower in the box. Um, some, and it's, the group of people, they put this box together for a newborn baby, boy or girl, uh, just wow. things that a newborn would need. 
That's great because when you, when you have a form and you're able to to get that information, you, then from that form it disseminates to people on your team who then can get that form and they respond accordingly. Is that right? Yes. So we will get it in our email, and we also have our email connected to our cell phones, like everybody else. So, <laughs> and it automatically pings, and when it goes in, it'll take less than a minute, and we'll get it, and we'll be in contact with you, uh, with the founder member, um, when it comes in. So we, you talked about a little bit the aftercare when a funeral is over. Um, and you said it was, what, six weeks after the, when the funeral is over that you guys have a process in place? Why six weeks uh, when it comes to that? Um, six weeks is the time limit we use. Okay. Sometimes it's shorter um, because once, let's just use this as an example. If the funeral was last Monday, mm -hmm. all right, at the end of the week, one of our people will call, check with them pray for them. Next week, someone will call, check with them, pray with them, having conversation as well. And the conversation always lead to asking them, does anyone need grief counseling? Uh, the counseling service is here for you. The church is here for you. And then initially, I'll make a call within the month. And um, if they would like grief counseling, we will do the next steps for that. And if not, sometimes it's not needed. And everyone moves forward but we try to um anywhere between four to six weeks really okay mm -hmm. that's good so are there any programs you would recommend for leaders to just share with their congregation in terms of those who may be struggling with grief um, i know you talked about grief counseling and they're you know being counseling services but any other programs you would recommend i would say if you're here in the dallas fort worth area Mm -hmm. Baylor Hospital uh, Chaplain Rodney Singleton has a good family care service that will help with that. Um, there's no charge. And they also come out to churches, local churches. If you get on there, um, connect with them, they will You set up a time they will meet with you, the pastor or the congregational care pastor, and set up a time where they can come and talk to your congregation and, um, and meet with the families and show them some aftercare um, aftercare services that they can use. Okay, great. So it looks like that you have a lot of systems in place you know, from when they, when, when they first start the process of someone passing or someone's in the hospital or if there's a new birth uh, to even after that process is complete. I know it's you and your team, but you also have a lot of volunteers that help as well, right? Yes, yes. Yes. So about how many volunteers would you say that you have that are on board? Okay. For Comfort and Care, which is probably the biggest ministry we have, we had a, when we did our account at the end of the quarter, it was 387. Wow. And uh, okay. volunteers. And those men and women, they, um, they send cars, they visit, they make phone calls, they do nursing home visits. Um, they... You know, they put boxes together, they serve dinners, you know, all that. <laughs> That's incredible. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I can think about people listening to this and saying, you just quoted my whole congregation size. <laughs> <I'm> like, <"What?" laughs> 300 and some volunteers. Oh, my goodness. So for people who perhaps don't have that many volunteers and don't have that many resources that you would have here at you know at a church like Dr. Evans. Uh, what 
what would you recommend for them in terms of being able to build out some systems to kind of help with the comforting care of those that uh, may be suffering or struggling? Okay, I'm from Charleston, South Carolina. Okay. And my mom's church, uh, Calvary Amy, which I grew up in the church as well. And um, so when she came here to Dallas and she saw our ministry in comforting care, she's like, I want to start something like this back at our church. Mm -hmm. So what I did was uh, share with them what we do. And you got to start where you are. Mm. A lot of people look and see what we are now, but there's a lady named Miss Margaret. She used to be in the comfort care ministry. Uh, she's 94 years old, um, just recently went home to be with the Lord. She says to me, I remember when we all had eight people at a table and we thought it was, the meeting was overwhelming with eight people you know, at a table. Wow. And she, she comes into the room now and she said, and we got almost 200 people here tonight and I, I can't even find a place to sit. But you know, those things, you got to start where you are. Okay. In 1999, Dr. Hawkins, Pastor Evans, Doug Douglas, those three men started where they were mm -hmm. with those eight. And through years it's grown. So you got to start where you are. And that's what I told my mom. You start with you and the few people that you have. And the company care doesn't need promotion. You never have to recruit for company care. You gain your volunteers by the impact that you make with the family. That's why you see our, our slogan is be the love. So others may feel the love. Because once you be the love of Christ, they feel the love of Christ, then people want to do the same in return, so they come and volunteer to be a part. There's no campaign drive, there's no volunteer drive, there's no table to come sign up for company care. Never has been, never will be. Mm. Now we do have something coming up in October. It's okay. exploring company care. And what we wanna do is remind the member, members is that here are the options you have to when something happens in your family to call confident care. Because a lot sometimes we do have the things where, you know, someone got sick and they didn't know. But we want to make sure that everyone knows the services that Oakwood Bible Fellowship provides. So it's exploring confident care, not recruiting. <laughs> yes, sir. I love that. Exploring confident care, not recruiting. And then the best way to to really help people see what comfort care is all about, even having a desire to get involved, is by sh sharing the love of Christ to them first and ministering to, to them first so that then they can see how they can feel the love, but also give love. Yes. That's great. That's powerful. So with that being said, knowing that you do a lot, that you're on call 24-7, how has your position been a challenge to your marriage and family? Oh, <laughs> now you're gonna get me below the belt you didn't tell me no I'm just kidding that's hilarious no because that's, that's a real issue right I mean we know as as ministers and as as people uh in the church that serve on a, on a higher level that there's a lot that the church asked of us and oftentimes that can impact our families that can impact our wives that can impact our children so how have you learned to, to, to manage that um I will say this from 
the very beginning, um, my wife and I, we had a conversation about it. Um, and we, we talked about how do we balance this? Because we know that there's going to be early morning calls, late night calls. Um, just three nights ago, we were out with some friends and um, they were celebrating their 55th wedding anniversary. And um, so it was a group of us and I got a text and um, we had a member that was unresponsive. So I went on with the evening. And when we got to the car heading home, I shared with my wife. And um, she was glad, you know, because I didn't bring it up during the dinner. I didn't bring it up during the celebration. I waited till it was all over with. And then we I try not to make sure that I don't ever spoil their celebration, our celebrations, with something that happens. When we're celebrating someone, especially in our immediate family, my wife and our two sons, um, we don't, I don't bring up anything until afterwards. I, I try to make sure when we're celebrating them, I take the time to celebrate them. Let them know, you know, ministry at the church is a great thing, but this is my first ministry, my wife and our sons. And uh, if I mess that up, then I can't minister to everybody else because I'll be trying to fix this. And, uh, and now that takes a lot of work because it takes time where you have to be intentional about your devotional time at the table, your devotional time with you and your wife. So we have scheduled times where we have our coffee and devotion. Then we have times where we just drink coffee. And you know, I'm not really a coffee drinker, but <laughs> just but drink coffee. Well, yeah, but it's but it's her time. That's good. That's good. And I remember you also saying that one tip was to, to make sure that you schedule a lot of things on the calendar, right? Oh, yes. Self. <laughs> uh, so so um, <laughs> we, um, my wife is very tech savvy. So she, uh, when we schedule things, when I schedule things, I put it on my calendar and I make sure that she is aware and if she accepts, if she says maybe, or if she declines, maybe I missed something. She very rarely she declines something. And uh, but if it is, maybe I missed something. So that's a conversation that we will have. Talk about it. Something I may need to reschedule on comfort. But you know, and she does. I do the same with her. You know, when she sends me things. We're, we're very intentional about making sure that we put things on the calendar. So when we talk about delegation, I know it can be hard in a position of your, your stature to want to delegate because, you I mean, it's, you're, you're, it's just a lot that you're responsible for. But at the same time, you have all these volunteers, right? So how do you discern what to delegate to your volunteers um, and what to keep to yourself? Like, how do you work through that delegation? And what tips would you share to other people who are who are trying to learn what to keep on their plate or what to delegate so they can have be freed up to do more more present things? Delegating is easier to do when your volunteers see that you've done it first. That's good. When they know that you're not just sending them on to, to do something that you you don't want to do, but if they know that you've done it. Mm -hmm. And now they just need you, you need their help to go do it. Then they're more apt to go do it when you ask. 
Um, so it's always a process of showing that that's a part of leadership. When people see you do, and they're willing to do with you. But when they don't see you do it and you're just pointing, then they're like, hold on, I don't know what you're sending me into. I don't know what you're asking me to do. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. So modeling it first. Yes. And then from there, delegating it. Okay, but what, what if you model it first and then you delegate it and they do it horrible, then what? No, when you model it, you're training as well. Okay. Okay. So um, let's just say for, for our, the men and women that we're going to have on my bereavement team. Okay. On our bereavement team, there are certain people that are asked to do eulogies. There are certain people asked to officiate services. There are certain people asked to go read resolutions or read scriptures. Um, you put people in their gifting. If you know that they're not going to be a good officiant, you as the leader should put them in that position, you know, because that's a reflection of the church, you know. So you you need to put people where they're gifting and talents. You don't you don't put them where you know that you're just trying to cover something and then to cause problems. What you don't want to do is have the the family have a bad experience, mm. you know. I would rather ask a family, let's spread it out a little bit, you know, because sometimes we have two services a day or three. I've done two services a day, but if I have to do it because I don't have anyone else, I'll have one at 10 and I'll have one at two. You know, that way I can give my full attention to what needs to be done and how it needs to be done. Amen. Now, speaking of funerals and services, and I know you've been a part of many, and not all, all of them have you been in charge of, per se, but you may have been on the program. So tell me about a funeral that perhaps hasn't gone the way that you would have liked for it to go, and maybe, you know, some extra things were going on, you were like, okay, like, mm, I'm glad I'm not over this, but I can't believe this is actually happening right now. Um, I think a lot of times we forget to put a time limit on things mm. because a lot of people will come and want to speak and sing and do all these different things. But the reality is the goal is for that family in the front who's grieving the loss of their loved one. Amen. And they should always feel comfortable. They should always feel as though that they're the most important at that time and not just the person who's trying to stand up at the mic. Um, so typically we ask for three people to speak at a funeral, um, reminding them that um, this is not a show. You know, you got two minutes. Uh, if you read a poem, that's a part of your three minutes. If you sing a song, that's a part of your three minutes. And if you do both, your, your two minutes is up. You know, just, just reminding people of that because a lot of times you get people that get carried away. Mm. That's true. Yeah. Very true. Now, have you ever had a eulogist go off the rails? Yes. <laughs> um, you've heard the thing said, just pull the coattail, you know, or three amens. But the good thing is at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, um, we've, anybody that comes and speaks, mm -hmm. and that's Sunday month, we know who they are. Uh, they have to, and we talk with them. We explain them our protocols, what we do, and how we go about it. 
Um, so if you think that you need four to five minutes to do the eulogy, um, probably ain't gonna be the one you're gonna do. I mean, it's no disrespect, um, yeah. but we, we try to have a service within a timely manner and, and so that the family will know that we, we're not just holding them in the sanctuary. That's, That's a great. long time when you sit on that front row and Absolutely. people forget that, you know? And so we, we, we always remind you to just, and so we say, amen, help me. Well, no, I appreciate you for sharing that. Cause I mean, I, I know that can be an issue sometimes. And, and as ministers, you're like, well, what, how am I supposed to handle that? You know, what am I supposed to do? So I appreciate you for saying that. So you're saying you can, you can give them a signal, the three amens. Typically we have a conversation beforehand. Okay. And uh, it's only happened one time with me. Um, I had to do that because, you know, a lot of people know that that's Oakland Bible Fellowship. Mm. Dr. Tony Evan. I may never get to stand here ever again. But then a lot of people respect it and they do what they're asked to do and they, and they move on. It's just a fact that you got to remember it's not about you at the time. Well, it looks like that that's basically our time together. But I wanted to ask you is there anything just generally that you would like to share to encourage ministers out there uh, today? I will say this, your daily devotion, your time with God, um, your time with God shouldn't be a time where you're just studying the word. Your time with God should be a time where you're spending time with him for the love, to know him. Because you're going to have, we always have plenty of time to study. We're always studying something. But we got to remember the Bible is a story, a, an opportunity for us to get to know Christ in a more personal way because people will see him in you and it will come out but people need to know that they need to know and see what you're modeling and say that's something i want to do thank you brother no, you really appreciate you for being here on the show and uh, for people that are listening how can people stay in touch with you yes um you can reach us at our phone numbers are 214 my phone number is 214 Six seven two nine one zero. That's Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship Comfort and Care Ministry. And then also my email address is dathomas at ocbfchurch.org. dathomas at ocbfchurch.org. And repeat that phone number one more time. It kind of glitched on us a little bit. Uh, phone number is 214-672-9120. 214-672-9120. Nine one two zero. Perfect. Thank you so much. Would you mind saying a prayer for people like yourself who are actively comforting and caring for those in need? Father, we just come to you now. We thank you for the men and women who are out there serving and serving others during this time. Um, we know that it's not easy and we have a lot on our plates and a lot of things to do. But Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that you give us to share your word and to comfort these people as they come across our path. May they know it's not just us, but it's you who live in us and through us. So may your grace, your mercy, and your love and kindness be felt in the words and our actions and our reactions. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. 
Thank, thank you. you guys also for listening. And so if you would like to hear more content like this or want to get updates from us, you can go to msolvers.org, msolvers.org and join to be added to our email list. And so may God give you the grace to be steadfast, immovable, and abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. God bless, and we thank you so much for joining us.